Welcome back to Bible Love, and we um, are on the Thursday in the fifth week of Lent. We've rounded the corner. We're almost home. If you see us looking a little bit more tired, it's because we've probably been fighting with copy machines or Alter Guild or all the things that happen as you lead into Holy Week and all the fun that that brings. This is the Collect for Thursday in the fifth week of Lent. Let us pray. O God, you have called us to be your children and have promised that those who suffer with Christ will be heirs with him of your glory. Arm us with such trust in him that we may ask no rest from his demands and have no fear in his service. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Well, Bible Love listeners, I have been excited about this one for a while because Alan and I's friend, the Reverend Paul Abernathy, is joining us today. And Paul is just someone I really look up to. He always has a kind word. He's been in ministry for a long time. He was teasing me before. I said, I said, can you talk about your 40 years in ministry? And he said, do you mean I'm old? And I said, no, that's not what I mean. You've just had a long, long history of ministry and have done so many cool things and have been a part of so many people's lives and bringing God to them. Paul currently is the assistant um, minister at um, St. Matthew's in Spartanburg, but you've done a lot since before that, right? Um, you're, would you say you're semi-retired, Paul, or not? <laughs> According to the pension fund, I'm retired. Okay. Uh, yet, yet long have I had a belief that as long as there is breath and strength, there is life and service to render. And as long as I can stand up and put two words together to make some sense, then, then yeah, I'm still employed. That's awesome. That's awesome. And a long, a wonderful preacher. Um, and we're going to, we're going to, um, link all your social things, Paul, because, a lot of times I see things that you put on Instagram or whatever. It just fills my heart, makes me feel so loved. I, I want you to know that in, in addition to all your other ministries, lifting up your clergy friends is something you do really, really, really well, too. So thanks for loving on us, Paul, so well. Um, so today, this is sort of this in-between time, y'all, where we've just finished the second book of Samuel Next week, we're going to go into Kings. And so we like to have um, special guests on in that in-between time to talk about the Bible and how it's been a part of their lives and their ministry. And so, Paul, welcome. We're so glad you're here. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. My joy. My joy. So you live in Spartanburg at the moment, but you're from Missouri, right? You went to General Seminary. Um, when did you go to seminary, Paul? 1974 to 77. Yeah, and so you were ordained in 1977, right? Yes, a deacon in 77 and a priest in uh, April the 15th, 1978. Okay, so we're almost at 44 years. 40, almost at 44, exactly. Yeah, yes. that's awesome. And you have done a lot in that time period. Tell us some of your favorite things that you've done in ministry. Favorite things? Yeah. 
let, let, let me let me tag having gone from uh, two years in a curacy uh, in the middle of Missouri at Columbia and launching a college or campus ministry at the University of Missouri and then going to the south side of Chicago for three years and then to Charleston, South Carolina for six years and then 27 years in the Diocese of Washington Two congregations, uh, Trinity uh, Uptown near Silver, Silver Spring and St. Mark's on Capitol Hill for 17 years. Mm-hmm. Each congregation, no surprise, was different. Um, when I think about Trinity, where I served, it was and is a cross-cultural community. Uh, Pontiola and I were there for 10 years. And it was a community of 20% pick a place in the Caribbean, uh, another 20% pick a place in Africa, but largely the Igbo tribe of Nigeria, uh, 50 to 60% African American and 5% white, representing both the oldest members of the community, because it was an all-white congregation before white flights and people to the suburbs, and some of the newest members of the community who came to Trinity because they said, we wanted to worship in a place where everyone doesn't look like us. Love it. And, and the, the work in that 10 years was to find unity and diversity and diversity in our unity. Um, I, one of the things that I remember is preaching a sermon uh, entitled Those People and banning the public use of those two words because they typically were used in that community back in that day to refer to folk of other ethnic origins and always negatively. Mm-hmm. And so the point was to say, we're no longer going to say those people here. And it was a wondrous uh, work of 10 years. And then going to St. Mark's Capitol Hill, being the first African-American rector in a largely white community and dealing heads up, we had four four intentional periods of dealing with race, reconciliation, and racism. It was some of the hardest ministry and some of the most uh, gratifying ministry, perhaps because it was the hardest. Right. I find that often, too. Well, you don't know this because I've never told you this, but when I lived in Washington, D.C. in my early 20s, I frequented St. Mark's. Hill and heard you preach several times. I never oh. went up and said, I want to join because I knew I was not going to make it on Sunday mornings. <laughs> um, but I have always admired um, your leadership in a lot of the areas that you're just, that you're talking about. And um, I love the thought of two words that can be so hurtful those people and just throwing them out of your vocabulary and going, that's just not going to be who we are. I mean, that's just really wonderful. Yeah. Um, all that time you were in Washington, you were also with the National Cathedral, right? I spent time several years as an adjunct faculty member at the College of Preachers before it closed, sadly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was a most gratifying experience because it allowed me to facilitate preaching groups with folk who came from all over the country and indeed all over the world for week-long conferences. And that was an absolute delight. I have a story that I've never told you either about your time at St. Mark's Capitol Hill. It ties in with your preaching. Folks who don't know, um, Paul is a magnificent preacher. 
in a denomination in which that's not always the case. He stands out um, as something to strive for. But anyway, so I went to seminary at Virginia. And as you probably know, in seminary, you spend your first semester there going to every imaginable church to try to figure out where you want to do field education. And um, I have two young boys and my father. He's now 13 and he's my size. But back then he was five and he was tiny. I drug him all around D.C., went to St. Paul's K Street. He thought that place was weird. We went to other places and they were like, we went to St. Mark's Capitol Hill. All I remember about it was that afterwards, this five-year-old told me that sermon was awesome. I don't remember. I don't remember the context of the sermon. I don't remember anything, but I do remember that it's kind of the only time in my life that Ford has commented on a sermon. And like, he's heard me preach a bunch and he's never told me that. So that's high praise, Paul. Well, yeah. thank you. And I'll take it. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. All right. Uh, children and young people, uh, that's called wisdom from the mouth of babes. When, when, when a young person says that was an awesome sermon or took note of it, that is significant. Yeah. Thank and you. that, you know, you're welcome. And I think that, you know, he obviously doesn't understand what you're saying really, but you connected with him. But I think it's more, and I, this is a question I have for you. Like the way you preach is demonstrative. It's emotive. It's, you're not just reading from a text. And so how do you, this is the Bible love podcast. How do you use all of that? The theatrics, the, the poetry, the study to bring the Bible alive for people from some 90-year-old who's heard a bajillion sermons to a five-year-old? Great. Well, well, first of all, my wife, Pompeo, says I'm full of drama. So, (laughs) (laughs) said, child, you had drama. Anyway, you know, I was born and raised, my brother and I were born and raised in the Episcopal Church. My mother was Baptist, my father was Methodist, and they settled on the Episcopal Church. However, In St. Louis, we often went to First Baptist Church, the church of my maternal grandmother. And I often would say to my mother after we got home in the afternoon, I would say, how come when we go to grandma's church, folks always look like they're happy to be there and want to stay. Mm -hmm. And when we go to All Saints Episcopal Church, folk always look like they're ready to leave. And she never could answer my question. The first sermon I ever preached was after my first year in seminary at All Saints Church in August of 1975. And I opened my mouth and out came this big voice. And it took me a while to figure out who were my preaching parents. And my primary preaching parents, frankly, were the Baptist preachers at First Baptist Church in St. Louis. I do not remember any of the sermons But frankly, I digress, because that's where my mind works. I digress. Uh, You know, sermons and being fed or sustenance from sermons, it's like like asking me, Paul, what did you eat yesterday morning? I don't remember. But was I fed? Yes. And sermons are like that. Ask Ask a preacher, what did you preach about last Sunday? And if you're doing a spate of stuff during the course of a week, who remembers immediately? But do you remember that you tried? Yes. And do people walk away saying, I got fed by that? Yes. Uh, So in any case, uh, out came this big voice, and I realized my preaching parents Primarily, initially, were the, were the Baptist preachers at first, first Baptist. Um, and so that kind of emotionalism, uh, 
giving vent, as my wife would say, to the spirit. Um, that's been integral and a part of me from the very beginning. Plus, plus I am full of drama. <laughs> well, you know, in addition, I mean, yes, uh, all priests kind of have to be a little bit full of drama, right, to, to make this come alive. But I'm also just thinking about, I mean, it's kind of the same question that Alan just had. But, you know, these are stories that we know really well. Like, say you preach on the gospel the whole Easter season, you know. But you continue to bring them alive in a way that, quite frankly, I'm really jealous of and which I wish. But I know you would say to me, you have your own voice and do do your own thing. I know I know Absolutely. how you are in that way. But I, I think there's something so attractive um, about um, a preacher like you in the Episcopal Church because we don't see that a lot, you know, and it's so inviting and it's so like the scriptures come alive to us um, and you don't hide behind that at all and I the good the bad all the things the scriptures have to say and you know Paul we've been start doing this podcast um, since October of 2020 and you know started in the Old Testament and still are there and will be there for a while as you know but there's some really hard stuff in there you know there is some really hard stuff and how do you you know, make that um, come alive, but also meet people where they are. And you may not have the question answer to that, but I would think after 44 years of ministry, you might have a few answers. Well, let me, say, let me say a couple of things. Um, I believe that preachers preach with people, hmm. that sermons are ongoing chapters and verses of a communal conversation. Preachers don't preach to people. Mm. Preachers don't preach at people, which is actually to people much harsher. Mm. Preachers preach with people. And so to the extent that the I who is preaching, and yes, all of my words are tainted by my ego and colored by my experience. True. Mm -hmm. Yet it is the spirit of God who speaks and we pray as preachers, that we are channeling that spirit of God, that word of God through the spirit, through this mortal, fallible flesh. Yet the witness of scripture is that God uses us to speak God's word. And so that's really what I'm about. And as for the hard stuff in the scripture, in terms of the Hebrew scriptures, two of my favorite books are the Psalms and Jeremiah. Why? Because the psalmist, I mean, I know at the end you get into all the glory and the praise and all that kind of stuff. But the psalmist is a realist and the psalmist is honest. The psalmist and Jeremiah capture Hebrews 4 better than any other books in the Bible. And that is we come before the throne of grace to seek mercy and grace in time of need, saying everything, which is to say parousias in the Greek. We say everything. We hold nothing back from God. And so I, and Jeremiah is, Jeremiah as distinct from Isaiah is the prophet who is a lyricist. I mean, it's almost lyric poetry. And Jeremiah is not afraid to say I. Mm. And yet his I identifies with the people with whom he is preaching. He embodies the people. 
with this hard word of repentance. And we'll even lay out and define what that looks like. That, for me, is a realist, a lyricist, and a preacher who embraces, loves, loves the folk with whom he is preaching. That's what I try to be. That's who I try to be. And it's who you are and I, and the humanness of it too, right? I don't think we can forget that. You know, sometimes we need to say, just like you were saying, it's, it's us. It's not me. It's not you. It's us. We together are doing this. Okay. Amen. So I, I wanted to ask you specifically about some scripture in your life and mm-hmm. how that has supported you in your ministry over these years, um, the Bible, how has it been a part of your life? I know you preach from it, but there has to be other places that you use the Bible and to continue your ministry. So talk to us about that. Well, the, the Bible is at the heart of everything and all that I do. Um, the Bible also is that work that confronts me and comforts me and consoles me and consoles me, and convicts me. And so I seek to embody that in my relationships with all people, even and especially when I fail, trusting that the Lord will lift me up. My favorite text of all the New Testament is the Apostle Paul. No surprise. My mother named me after the Apostle. She did something. (laughs) But my favorite text is Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And 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 to note that Paul, chapter 12 forward, is doing the ethical work of all the theologizing he's done in chapters 1 through 11. That matters to me. And, 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 I love words. I I just love them. They're my friends. And one of my favorite words is therefore. The only reason therefore matters is, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a signpost along the way. And before you can go after that comma, therefore comma, before you can go on, you have to make sure you understood everything that preceded it. And, and scripture is a lot like that. Life is a lot like that. In order to understand anybody at any place and time, or any community at any place in time, what preceded our arrival? A place has history. A people has history. And so it's important for me, for the preacher to get that. The Bible does it throughout. So I try to embody what the the threads of Scripture, or the threads that run through Scripture. Yeah, and you mentioned... um that in your work in DC and I'm sure you've had this work in South Carolina too. You've you've done a lot of racial reconciliation work. And I'm curious to think, to pick your brain a little bit about um, how the scripture influences you when you do that kind of work. Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, Yeah. Uh, For about 15, 16 years, my conscious witness I, by the way, all preachers, each of us, we only have one sermon. We just have very various ways we say it. Uh, right. My one, my one the sermon. Figure it out, right? <laughs> <laughs> my one sermon is love and justice, and by love I mean unconditional benevolence, unmerited, undeserved grace 
and kindness. And by justice, I mean unconditional, impartial fairness. For and with whom? All people. When? All times. Why? Because that is what I have understood finally is the life and ministry of Jesus. He is the incarnation of God's love and God's justice. And so that is what I seek to share. And in regard to race and reconciliation, it can't happen unless I am willing. And I know I'm able because the spirit makes me able, but am I willing? That's my free will. That's the point I got to choose. Am I willing to share love and justice, even with those whom I believe, let's put it bluntly, are racists, mm-hmm. who would look at me and judge me, not by the content of my character, but by my color, mm-hmm. or what they presume to be my story, mm-hmm. because I appear the way I do. And when I am able, and when I choose to do that, I have found breakthroughs. Not only individually and individual relationships, but also communally. I'll never forget a class we did at St. Mark's, and we designed the class. It was called, Is There a Racist in My Mirror? It was a six-week class that involved a weekend away on retreat. Because the classwork that you can do on an evening for two hours is one thing. It's when you go on retreat for a weekend that you can really get down to proverbial brass tacks. One of the things I found astounding, there were 35 of us. We, we spoke some hard truths about our individual views about the other. Nobody ran out of that room. We stayed to deal. And I believe the spirit was the container that held us together because individually we'd cut and run because it was painful. It was painful. It was painful to hear someone say, I see you as less than me because you're black. That's hard. That's hard stuff. Or I see you as someone I cannot trust because you're white. That's hard stuff. Yet we stayed in that room and we wrestled. And I believe each of the 35 of us came to a different, grounded, sacred, more sacred space because of that effort. And that was all sitting on scripture. Amazing work. Because it's all about Jesus. (laughs) Yes, Lord. That is right. That is right. So you told us your favorite scripture. Uh What is your favorite? I I tried to get this out of you earlier, but you, you ended up giving me so much more than I even thought was possible. Tell, I want to know, like, just one of your favorite moments in ministry that you've had. Can you think of one, one of your favorite times? One of my favorite moments is that. (laughs) I tell you what, just this past Sunday, I was preaching uh, based on the the Isaiah text Mm -hmm. about... um, Good Lord, now say I can't remember what the, t- <laughs> what the t- oh, um, behold, I do a new thing. Do you not perceive it? And I, and I was talking about, I'll, I'll get to it unless my mind wanders and it probably will. I was talking about how to the people in captivity, Isaiah recalls the first exodus and then oddly says, forget it. 
because in this new exodus, leaving Babylon as opposed to leaving Egypt, you will go through the wilderness as your forebears went through the wilderness, and God will provide, yet the wilderness will be changed. There will be rivers running in the wilderness. Now, the jump-off point is, the language is mythological. It is, it is that wonderful blend of prophecy and poetry to, to say something, a truth about something that mere prose cannot grasp, can't touch. So the point is, the rivers didn't run in the, in the wilderness, at least I don't believe. But that's not the point, because the prophecy isn't about the wilderness. The prophecy is about the people. The people are the barren wilderness that will be transformed because the river, the rivers of freedom that allow them to restore and covenant relationship with God and one another. Now I say all that to say, I was talking about relationships and this past Sunday happened to be Pontheol is in my 34th wedding anniversary. And one of the wonderful, I hadn't even planned to say it. It occurred to me in the midst of the sermon. I said, do you believe? That in 34 years, Pontheola still does not think like I do. <laughs> Isn't, is, is not that the wondrous thing about the power of relationships that you are who you are and I am who I am and only as I accept you as you are can you as yourself call me out of the always small container of myself to become a bigger person than I would ever be without you. That, that. And you know what? Obviously it clicked for people because they were going like, they were sitting there going like, they even said amen. Lord have mercy. You got those folks up in Spartanburg saying amen. That's good. That's good. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. They talked because we talked with one another. Right. Alan, I'm sorry. Sit here I'm with tr- I'll try to calm down. I'm no, sorry. don't you calm down for a minute. I was just about to say, Alan, couldn't you just sit here with Paul all day and let him just yeah. talk to you? I love it. It was one of my favorite things about serving in Upper South Carolina is, you know, one of the first things I did, I hadn't been there too long, and I went with Bishop Waldo to a Race and Reconciliation Committee meeting. You know, I served with him on that. And Paul, you at that time were still on that committee. And I just remember, I don't know anyone in this room, right? Like I'm brand new. I'm a white guy, you know, and we're talking about these things. And I just remember, I don't remember what you said. It was profound because it's you, Paul. But just the way that you can say hard things and hard conversations and put people at ease, like that's a gift. And I think it comes forth in your preaching and your teaching this podcast, I mean, you just have a way with words um, and letting God's spirit, letting God's word like flow through you. What did you say, Pantheola called it venting what? Oh, uh, giving vent to the spirit. Giving Pantheola, vent to the spirit. Yeah. Pantheola was raised in the church of God, uh, the, the church of God that's based in Anderson, Indiana. And, and frankly, we talk about this all the time. One of the things that attracted me to Pontheola is she knew as much scripture as I did. And so we, we have engaged in 34 plus years of conversation about the word of God uh, in ways that, that are powerful and challenging. And she has taught me a great deal about the application of scripture to life and living. 
What a dynamic duo the two of you are. I'm so grateful to know you both. Um, oh, bless you. Thank gonna, you. You're not going to believe this, but our time is up. We've been talking for almost 30 minutes. It just happens so quick. Paul, there's a couple of things I just want to say to you. I think you are an amazing man of God, and I'm so glad to have you in my life. I'm so glad that you're on the Bible Love podcast with us. Thank, well, thank you for you. Just sharing your wisdom and your love and your love for God's people. It is so evident. And I love that you're like, I've been doing this for 44 years. I got 44 more in me. Let's keep going. <laughs> that is amazing. And I hope that Alan and I feel the same way. I'm only eight years in, so I'm, I'm hoping I can keep going. And just thanks for being an inspiration. Well, well, Mary, I'll, I'll slow down. You can catch up. And that's okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Sounds good. And I, um, just always love being in your presence. So thank you for your thank time you. today. Thank you. Love um, y'all. Listeners, remember that we love you, as Paul just said, but most importantly, God does. Bye.